Good morning. Hey, let's do this before we open the word. Turn to the person next to you and say to them specifically, how has God been good to you in the last week? I'll give you about a minute. Amen. Did everybody have something to share? Good. Good. All right, you know, how many of you would amen this, that God often shows his goodness in the small things that a lot of people would think are not significant and they would, over, they would overlook? How many of you would, would amen that? Let me give you an example. Because of some medical things I'm going through, I have to give blood a lot, and I'm not a big fan of needles. Can I get a witness? And I've actually, I've actually learned that if I go to the particular clinic, which is right down the street from my house, there's this sweet lady there who is unquestionably the greatest phlebotomist in the Western world. She is so good at just, you don't even feel anything. Amen? So I'm in there the other day, and there's like 12 people in front of me. And so I'm sitting there, and I just said to the Lord, Jesus, I really would like to have that phlebotomist she's so good and I've kind of struck up a relationship with her so Lord if it would please you can I please have my blood drawn by her and you know one by one people get called out you know and their names are called and some phlebotomist will come out and get them and so forth and I'm looking around the room and it's me and a couple other people and I'm thinking well you know Jesus you just winnowed the pool (laughs) You know, you kind of remove some of the people. So here she comes. And she looks around and she says, Mike? Yes, Jesus! You are good to me. Little things, right? Let me give you another one. Last week, where my wife and I go to church most of the time, which is Pacific Christian Center. I'm on the prayer team there, and and I lead the counseling team there, and I'm at the altar at the end of the service, and here comes this this family up to me. And I know the husband. I, to the best of my knowledge, had never met his children or never met his wife. But he comes up to me, and he says, would you pray for my family? I said, I would absolutely love to pray for your family. And so as we begin to pray, I'm reminded of the fact that I thought that his wife was the principal of the elementary school right across the street. And many of you had gone on Serve Santa Maria a couple of weeks ago, and you did some painting on their playground, amen? And let me tell you something. She was over-the-top glad that you showed up. Goodness of God in little things that people would overlook. And I just got to be a part of it and say, you know, I know that church. That's a fine church led by a fine group of pastors. And I know that blessed them to come and spend time and give back to you and your campus. And she was so excited. It's the little things in life sometimes that God shows his goodness. Amen. So let's not overlook those. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We've been reading this week in our 260 group, and next week you'll be jumping into 2 Thessalonians, three-chapter book with a lot of meat to it, 
And we'll be there in chapter 3 a little bit later on. But I want to give you some background with this. You know, there, there's, a, there's a teaching schedule that Pastor Tim put out that is consistent with what we've been reading or what we will be reading in our 260 groups. And if you've not joined one, please make every attempt to do so. And I know that we're facing the end of the year now. We just entered into fall and we're going to start back over again. But just a, just a marvelous opportunity to read through the New Testament and to write down in your journals what you believe God's saying to you and what you believe God is telling you to do with what God says to you. And the reason that I knew that I was going to be speaking on this series of, of chapters here is because it was marked out on the calendar for months ahead of time. And so I began to look at it and, and read it and reread it and reread it some more. And I want to give you a heads up today. We're only going to really be in two verses, all right? And they are in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. But we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to support those two verses with examples from other places. But that's the place that I want to start today so that you know where we're going to end up and, and what the topic of this message is. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm reading from the New Living Translation Verses 11 and 12. This should be your ambition. To live a quiet life. Minding your own business and working with your hands. Just as we commanded you before. As a result, people who are not Christians will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend, depend on others to meet your financial needs. Now, you might say, gee, Mike, there's not a lot there. Think about it. Other than when you are asleep, where do you spend most of your time? At work, right? We spend a great deal of our time at work. One of the things I want to leave with this morning is this, that one of the best opportunities for you to share your faith in Jesus is to go to work, show up with your best effort, live a life that honors God, and trust him to open up opportunities for you to share. Amen. And we're going to come back to that. But I want you to notice in the New Living Translation, some of you have different translations, but the word ambition is sometimes translated goal or purpose or to aspire to something. Have you ever noticed how ambition is a really popular word in the American culture? You ever noticed that? People are highly ambitious, right? In fact, let me ask you this. When you were growing up, when you were a little person, what were you ambitious to do? What was, it, what was your dream, right? For me, as a, as a little guy growing up, all I wanted to do was play baseball. Now, I realize that my brothers and sisters over here are decked out in their, their Raider gear today. And here's my sister over here decked out in her Green Bay gear, sitting next to her husband, who is really conflicted. <laughs> but my ambition when I was little, through high school, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And... I found out that when everybody got bigger and faster and stronger, that that was not going to work for me. But that was my ambition. How many of you remember when you were growing up what you aspired 
to do. I'm going to suggest to you today that what we should have as an ambition today is to live for the glory of God. And whatever profession God leads you in, as long as you want to live for the glory of God, God's going to bless it. Amen. There's another word I want to start with today, and it's the word success. Have you, have you noticed how little the Bible says about the word success? And have you noticed that when you find the word success in the Bible, it's almost always tied in with this, knowing the word of God. Knowing the word of God. Acting in accordance with what the word of God says. The word ambition originally comes from a Latin word, and it means this, to campaign for a promotion. Now, we're going to see that, amen, a lot as we've entered into this next presidential election. We already have several announced candidates, and they're already hitting the trails. They're going to state farms. They're doing town hall meetings and so forth. They're beginning to put ads on our television and so forth. What are they campaigning for? They're campaigning for an office, right? Arguably the greatest office in the world, the freest country in the world, the greatest country in the world, right? But originally... When this word ambition became a part of our language, it meant to campaign for a promotion. And it could have looked like this, power, position, approval, visibility, recognition. And so it began not to have its literal meaning, but a suggested meaning, which was us, to draw attention to self. To draw attention to self, to be puffed up. And when people are puffed up, all too often, people, apart from the restraining work of the Holy Spirit and the liberating work of the Word of God, when the Spirit of God comes on it and makes us into the people that God wants us to be, all too often, when our desire is to have people look to us, our desire is for pleasure, our desire is for popularity, our desire is for prestige, it derails what it is God wants to do in our life. You know, one of the first places we see that is in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, chapter 11, how many of you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, right? What had God told the people to do? To be fruitful and what? Multiply, and then to make their way, to spread their way throughout the then known world. But what did they do? They gathered together on the plain, and we find in chapter 11 and verse 4, we, we read these words, let's build a tower to heaven to show our greatness to everyone. First of all, that's not what they were told to do. And second, when this monument to self was established, here's what God did. God came down and confused the language of the people, amen? And I, I just want you to know that it's interesting Watch out now, because I could preach a long time today. It's interesting in chapter 11 in the book of Genesis how God confused the language of people so they could be divided. In Acts chapter 2, God brought the gift of speaking in languages unknown until people could be brought what? Together. When we, when we seek great things for ourselves, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 45, seek them not. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 1 that some people preached Christ in his time out of the wrong motive. It was to gain attention for themselves. 
And just a couple of verses later in chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And the word selfishness there is often followed by the word ambition. Don't do anything like that. Rather, see the needs and the concerns and the interests and the, the, the issues of people's lives as more important than your own. There's something about this ambitious word that just really resonated with me as I began thinking about having the privilege of being here today. You know, we'd like to think that, that all ambition that we have in our life is, is something that's been birthed in us by God. But we better be careful, amen? Because I will tell you a story in Mark chapter 9, and it's also repeated for us in Mark chapter 10, where even the godliest people can sometimes fall victim to the very ignoble side of ambition. Do you remember the story when Jesus was on his way, walking along, and he, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're Jeremiah, some people think you're just a prophet. And you remember what he says to them? Who do you say that I am? That's the most important question that you will ever be asked in your life. What do you think about Jesus? And Peter, God bless him, Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. But then the next chapter over in chapter 9, James and John and the rest of the, that crew that Jesus had assembled around him, they're, they're kind of lagging behind Jesus and they're talking amongst themselves. And Jesus stops and begins to engage them in conversation. And he says this. What were, you, what were you guys talking about? I'd like, to, I'd like to know. Let me in on the conversation. What were, what were you guys talking about? And, of course, it gets uncovered that they were talking about which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, he that would be first among you should be the servant of all. You shouldn't be looking for position at the exclusion of being a person who loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, who loves people, and loving people has to mean, folks, giving and sharing. Has to mean that. Even godly people can sometimes succumb to the lure of ambition outside of the will of God. Sometime this week, in your own private reading, go... Look at the end paragraph in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, we have what I call the peril of practical atheism. People who say they love God, but they make all these plans for their life, and they never bring God into the conversation. And so they make decisions without godly input. They make decisions without godly confirmation. How often the root of that is because there's still something that, of that desire for personal ambition to be fulfilled in our life. And if you think Jesus never faced that, how about Matthew chapter 4? How about Luke chapter 4 when the devil comes to Jesus? What does he offer him? He offers him a chance for prestige. He offers him a chance for power. He offers him a chance for popularity, to draw attention to himself. And you know as well as I do what Jesus said, amen? It is written. But think about it. 
If Satan went after Jesus, what makes us think that he's not going to tempt us as well? In this area of our lives where we might desire to be seen rather than to be a servant. Now, there's only three places in the New Testament where the word ambition is used in its original form. All right? We're going to look at them in the order in which they're presented, and then we're going to spend the most of our time in Thessalonians. Okay? If you've got your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Some people think, and I tend to agree with them, that the most magnificent of Paul's writings is the book of Romans. It is an incredible piece of theology. But it ends here in these last couple of chapters. And in verse 20 of chapter 15, I want to read something to you. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has not been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. Number one, we should make it our ambition to preach Christ. Preach Christ and him crucified, right? One of the things about the Apostle Paul that I appreciate is that he was very, if you will, very open to doing whatever God called him to do. The establishment of churches, that certainly being the more foremost. Have you ever thought about this? That God took somebody whose life ambition was to destroy the church, and then he turned him around, and it became his lifelong ambition to what? Establish the church. Is that a good word? That... that, that Desire of Saul, soon to become Paul, was to be ambitious to arrest, to persecute, to close down whatever churches had already been established in that that time in the infancy of the church. And yet it pleased God to turn him around to a point where Paul says in Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I will make it my priority to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, and woe be it to me if I fail to do so. A couple of times ago when I was here, I had the privilege of talking to you about how to be a fisher of men. All right. And I I had the, the privilege of going down to a church in Pasadena and they were having a missions month. And so I chose to go ahead and share that as well. Because here's my thought. If the people in the pew are not sharing the gospel with the people with whom they work with, or the people they attend school with, or the people among whose neighborhoods they reside, certainly no amount of pastors is going to make up for your influence in where you live. And so it's important for me to make sure people are given not just encouragement, but are given training so they know how it is to share their faith. Amen? Amen. That is so crucial. And I want to remind you of something today. God has no plan B. You are plan A. And that is what? You need to share Jesus with your friends and neighbors. You need to, yes, earn the right to be heard. We're going to close with that in Thessalonians 4. But the reality is this. We 
ought to be doing exactly what Pastor Tim's doing, Pastor Kelly today. They're moving into the mission field. They're encouraging the people that have been sent there and so forth. But dear ones, may I tell you, in a population in the world now that's rapidly approaching, if not gone beyond, 8 billion people, how many people in the world today have never heard the name Jesus? And you know what? We should be sending missionaries to them. Preaching Christ where there is no other missions work that's been established. Example of Paul. The second one, the second use of the word is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like you to turn over there if you will please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find in verse 9, the second use of the word ambition. And it is one that I'm sure that you are familiar with. You've heard, I'm sure, Pastor Tim or Pastor Kelly or Pastor Kaylin or my sister here. I'm sure you've heard somebody speak to you about this. But here's what 5.9 says. So we are always confident, beginning in verse 6, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. That is why we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So our aim, our aspiration, our goal, our purpose, here we go, our ambition is to please him always, whether we are here in this body or away from this body. For we must all stand before Christ and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in our bodies. Second use of the word ambition is to live to please God. Amen? Amen. Now, what's the foundation of pleasing God? The foundation of pleasing God is very simply Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Romans 14 says that whatever is not of faith is sin. My premise today is this. There's a lot of people who are highly ambitious in our culture, but their ambitiousness is predicated on wanting to be seen, wanting to be noticed, wanting public acclaim, wanting public recognition, rather than just being the least of all and a servant of all. Now, some people, amen, some people gain a platform And they become people that we recognize, their name, we recognize their gifting is being played out in the public arena. Amen for that. But if that's my desire, just to live on that kind of place of prestige and that place of popularity and that place of of possessions taking over my life, consuming my time, my ambitions are in the wrong place. To please God. Now, how do, how do we see that here? It's very simply that we see this in light of the fact that we're going to be judged. All of us here are going to stand before a judgment seat. And what I want for you, just as what I want for myself, when we all stand before the judgment seat of God, I want you to hear the same words I want to hear. Amen? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? I want to hear that. And the fact that I know I have to give an account of my life is a motive. 
The love of God is a motive. Amen? Paul says in this chapter, he says that the love of God constrains me. In other words, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because we are people of the word, because we are submitted to whatever God's purposes are for us, there's such a love that constrains us. We don't want to be offensive. Brothers and sisters, in all candor, please, you don't have to worry about being offensive with sharing the gospel because the gospel is offensive enough. Amen? Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Because the gospel is that which not only saves people, but often the gospel is that which hardens their hearts as well. But we need to earn the right to be heard. We need to earn that right. And so Paul then goes on to say it's the power of the gospel that, that is so important for him to please God. God had given him the ability to preach. I don't know what's going to happen in heaven, but I, I'm convinced that there is going to be a big screen in heaven. Okay? And I'm convinced that there'll be question and answer time. And, and there'll be opportunities for you to ask questions about how God did certain things and so forth. I also think that you're going to be able to meet people in heaven. Right? Your loved ones. And, and I, I, I believe that. And Pastor Gary would, would, I'm sure, confer with me that that is right. Based upon the story of David saying, the child will not come to me. Remember when his child was born and his child died? And he said, the child will not come to me, but I will go to what? I will go to the child. There is significant biblical thought to the reality that when you get to heaven, you're going to run into people you know. Let me ask you a question. Are you going to run into your next door neighbor? Are you, are you going to run into the person who sits in the cubicle next to you at work? Now I'm going to tread on really thin ice here. Are you going to run into the person you're sitting next to today? I'm suggesting to you that it's the power of the gospel that caused Paul to be pleasing to the God as was preached through him. And there was that call of God upon his life. But in the time that we have remaining, I want everybody to go over the Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to talk about this two verses here in chapter 4. If you, how many of you, if, let's be honest now, you don't have to raise your hands on this. If you were to read chapter 4, interestingly enough, the last several verses, beginning in verse 13 and going through verse 18, is about the rapture of the church, amen? And we love reading about that. That, that God's going to come back, Jesus is going to come back, and those of us who are living are going to get caught up in the clouds with him, and thus we're going to go live for him forever. It, that's an exciting thing, right? And verse 18 says, encourage one another with that word. Most of our attention in chapter 4 would be drawn to that, or it might be drawn to the first eight verses, where it talks about the fact that you and I have a responsibility to live in a place of holiness, and that God will, in fact, judge those who fail to live in a place, and it's specifically around the issue of sexual purity and within a marriage, even more specifically, that God will judge that if that is not the intention of our heart and the behavior of our life. So it's easy for us to get into 9 through 12 here and, and get lost, if you will, in the commandment in verses 1 through 8 of practical holiness or the reality of Jesus' return in verses 13 through 18. But... I want you to pick it up with me and let me walk you through 
verses 9 through 12. But I don't need, verse 9, to write to you about the Christian love that should be shown among God's people. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, your love is already strong toward all the Christians in all of Macedonia. Even so, dear friends, we beg you to love them more and more. Let me stop there for a second. Would it be a good prayer to escape from our lips? Jesus, help me to love people more. Help me to love people more. Because I think if we're so, if we're so bold as to ask that, here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to show us not only whom it is, but how it is that we're going to show them love. These, this is Thessalonica, if I'm not mistaken. The, the, there are very few warnings or admonitions. There's, there are very few places in this book where Paul kind of has to spank him on the wrist and say, you're better than that. You're better than that. Over and over again, he commends them for their faith, hope, and love. Here, they, they, their church had, uh, had reached a place where people in places far away from Thessalonica had heard about this church and how much they loved Jesus. And so Paul says, let's, let's learn to love more and more and more. And then that leads us to verse 11. This should be your ambition to live a quiet life Minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we commanded you before. As a result, people who are not Christians will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend, depend on others to meet your financial needs. Now, if we just stopped there, closed up our Bibles, and had prayer time at the altar, I, I hope that you've been challenged and I hope you've been comforted today. But there is this little book that many of you are going to be reading in your 260 called Second Thessalonians. And about Wednesday or Thursday of next week, you're going to be reading in chapter 3. And chapter 3 is you better sit down and hold on tight. Because beginning in verse 6, Paul brings to bring warning and admonishment to the church. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command with the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from any Christian who lives in idleness and doesn't follow the tradition of hard work we gave you. For you know that you ought to follow our example. We were never lazy when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so that you would not, we would not be a burden to any of you. It wasn't that we didn't have the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this rule, whoever does not work should not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and wasting time meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. No, we command them, settle down and get to work, earn your own living, and I say to the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but speak to them as you would to a Christian who needs to be warned. 
Notice twice, twice. In about what, nine verses, maybe a little bit more. Paul says, look at us, follow our example. Because when I was working among you and establishing the church here in Thessalonica and discipling the leadership and, and helping to establish you in the doctrines of the faith and giving you words, amen, about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was doing that, I was working day and night building tents so that I would earn the right to be what? Heard. I paid for my food. I could have said, I'm an apostle, so you need to feed me. But I paid for my food. I set before you an example. I worked hard. I minded my own what? Business. You know, because a lot of times when people become idle and lazy, here's what they do. They spend their time getting their nose into other people's business. A lot of times when people become lazy and idle, they just begin to use their time to put their nose into other people's business. And let's be really faithful to the text today. There were people in Thessalonica who thought that the return of Jesus Christ was imminent. And so they just kind of quit their jobs and sat around and just waited for the skies to open and Jesus to come back. It's been 2,100 years, dear friends, right? 2,100 years, and he's going to come, and I do believe he's going to come soon, amen? But I'm saying to you, until Jesus Christ comes, my responsibility is do the work that God has called me to do. My responsibility is to live a quiet life in the midst of a loud culture. My responsibility is to my own, my own business unless I'm drawn in it by the request of somebody else. This is, this is, I love this passage and I love this whole topic of ambition because if you went home today and you, you know, you called four or five people and somebody said, well, you were at church today? Yes. What, what did the pastor talk about? Talked about ambition. And you were to say, well, what would you be ambitious to do? In fact, I'm going to challenge you to this. I want you sometimes this week to Get out a piece of paper and a pencil. Get out your phone and write in the note apps. What are the five priorities of your life? What are the five priorities of your life? And then do the really dangerous thing. Call somebody and say, if you were to look at my life, what would you say are the priorities of my life? And if you put down building the kingdom of God and all they're seeing is building the kingdom of thingdom, we have a problem. <laughs> we have a problem. Because there should be a consistency to my life. There should be a consistency to my life. In other words, I'm not one way when I'm with this group and another way when I'm with this group. Can that happen to Christians? Absolutely. Second, uh, Galatians chapter 2. Paul and Peter. Paul confronts Peter because he was acting in an inconsistent way. James tells us in chapter 3, consistency is shown in the spirit of gentleness and the wisdom that God gives you through your life. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3, the elders, people who were leading in the, in the first century church, should be living consistent lives and not new converts. I want my life to be marked by consistency. I want people to, 
to see me as someone when they, they know what they can expect because there's that point of consistency in my life. Unless you think that that was a hard word for some people today. How about this one in Ephesians 4 before we close? Verse 28 of chapter 4. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor so he has something to give to those who have need. Work, dear ones, work is inherently good. Now, it got messed up in the garden. I understand that. I understand that in the fall of man, that our, our desires and the things that we really wanted to see accomplished, it got perverted, it got corrupted. I get it, I get it, I get it. I also know this. When Jesus comes into your life, he's beginning to restore and to re-erect in you what he intended in the original place. And that's for you and I to be willing to give and to share, not to hoard and to keep. That is not the intention that the Lord has. Let me leave you with this word. Inappropriate ambition is greed in disguise. When my ambitions move away from what God has called for me to do with my life, when they are outside the word of God, they're outside the boundaries that God has established for me, Inappropriate ambition is greed in disguise because what I want is more. More attention, more popularity, more affirmation, more stuff, more power. That is not what God intends, amen? God intends for us to be people who work with our own hands who live a quiet life and mind our own business. And I trust, you, you'll hear this as I close, I trust you will believe me when I say this to you. When you live lives like that, people will find you and want to know why. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to hang a shingle out in front of your house and say, godly counsel here. They're going to find you, and they're going to find you in their workplace. They're going to find you in that classroom. They're going to find you on the soccer field. They're going to find you in the convalescent home. They're going to find you wherever you are if you are about doing the kingdom of God's work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the places where you have us to consider what it means to be ambitious. God, would you remind us that it should be about the opportunity to declare Jesus. It should be about the idea of living a life that's pleasing to you, it's honoring to you, it's obedient to your word, submitted to your, your spirit, submitted to the, the work that you'd have us to do. And Lord, to work hard. And to earn, God, the favor of others because they see in us something of a consistent life. Lord, we don't want to erect like the Tower of Babel in chapter 11 of Genesis. We don't want to establish and erect a false kingdom. We don't want to establish and erect something that will not stand the test of time, whose foundation is not that which is built upon Christ. 
but upon my need, our need, to be seen, to be heard, to be applauded, to be affirmed, to have more and more, share less and less. That's not your intent. But Jesus, as we, as we live lives that will bring you honor, God, I just know that it is your intent that not only are we looking to share Jesus at the proper moment, we're looking to share Jesus in a time when, when people begins to feel the felt needs of their life. They need someone to speak to them about the assurance of forgiveness. They need someone to talk to them about how they can look death in the face and not be afraid because they know there's heaven for those who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. May my life, may the life of each person here today, may this church, God, as I know it is, continue to remind people that there is only one foundation that's been laid that will stand the test of time. And that's the foundation of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to live as people of faith, therefore being pleasing to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Prayer team, if you'd come and make yourself available. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. So appreciate this place of worship. And uh, I'm sure that Tim and Kelly will be very excited to come back. And they did tell me this morning to say hello to all of you. So God bless.